to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Better Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Tee Off Sports, and I am happy to be joined by my man, Sticks Picks, who is entering the week fresh off of a Sam Burns victory at the match play in Austin. Unfortunately, I was on the other side of that outcome since I had a nice rollover going with Cameron Young. I ended up dropping about three units in that final match, but I'll always stand by my rollover strategy and the upside that I believe it presents since we are talking about about 20 total units of profit for me at this event over the last four years. Uh, Personally, I hope it comes back next year since it's my favorite tournament yearly, but congrats on being able to recover some of that UCLA Jaime Jaquez money that I am still looking for myself. Yeah, dude, that's that was brutal. I mean, they were up 15. Uh, I, I don't know what they were up at half. I started to to have a couple beverages once I thought that game was starting to get in the bag in favor of UCLA. And then all oh, hell breaks loose in the second half. And UCLA, I don't think, scored for 12 basketball minutes and yep. what felt like an hour and a half of real life just watching that whole thing implode. And, the, dude, the amount of money, it, it's only two games, but – the two biggest bets in college basketball I think I've ever made was one uh, UCLA Villanova and then, or I'm sorry, UNC Villanova a couple of years. When was that? 20. Yeah. The national championship game. 17. Uh, I think it's 2018. Cause I, I believe it's the year that I got into the space. Um, and I think it's 2018. Confirmed. 2018. No, no, that was uh, that was Villanova, Michigan. Even 20, Villanova didn't go back to back, did they? No. UNC won in 2017. When the hell was this? 2016. UNC was about to go back to back if they won in 2016. Yes, 2016. So my first year out of college, and yeah, that was the biggest bet I had made in my life to date at the time, which was significant. It was like you know, damn near emptying out the bank account. So I lose on these dump off. Halfback pitch, bomb three pointers, just ridiculous. <laughs> same, same thing, same play, pretty much. I mean, with time remaining at least for UCLA, but hardly any. God damn, just so frustrating. But yeah, I mean, I, I stand by that. I think you know, obviously, Timmy just played the game of his life, put the team on his back. Guy was so damn good around the hoop. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hakez did as much as he could. Didn't really have much help from so from anybody in the second half. I mean, Bailey kind of shit the bed. Tiger was not as good as. He could be, but yeah, that, that was a bummer. Yeah, I I texted you that I did not. I mean, even at halftime when they were winning, I don't know what they were up thirteen points or whatever it was. Yeah, I think it was twelve or thirteen. I I hated what Cronin was doing, and like they even interviewed him at that point, and they asked him like, "What do you think about your team?" And he's like, "Tiger and Hawkes, they're gonna pass out in the center of the court. Like we're playing, they're gonna have to play every single minute." I'm like, "Why would you even put that into existence at that point?" Like if you look at Creighton, I mean, they essentially play five players themselves and everybody's playing every single minute. Like once you throw it into the universe that everybody's tired, I don't love that. And I also didn't love the strategy that they implemented to begin with. Like they tried to slow it down at a certain point. And if you're going to slow it down, like slow it completely down and actually run sets and do things like, I don't, they were out of control and they lost all rhythm once they did that. And it was a disaster. And yeah, they're running running down the shot clock, and then someone was going ISO. It was like an NBA offense, and when they're trying to kill clock, it was it was awful, especially when you have that that many scorers on that team. So frustrating because I do yeah. think they're still, you know, obviously UConn's amazing, and I was not. I know they were number one Ken Palm heading into the tournament. I 
didn't really watch any UConn games this year. Like I said, don't watch a ton of college basketball till pretty much a couple of weeks before March Madness. But uh, yeah, they gained my respect big time. But other than that, I think UCLA is still the second best team in the in the tournament or on paper that was in the tournament. Whatever it's worth, I ran a model. I know I said I was maybe going to, and I didn't have time to put it out. I and this is from somebody who's watched no college basketball this year. This is just taking like the prerequisites of what I always run to try to figure out who the top power rated teams are. UCLA was number one for me. UConn was uh, number three. Houston was number two. So uh, UConn obviously was going to be a difficult matchup if UCLA got to that game. I think that would have been a good contest. But, you know, it's kind of funny for me. Both of my biggest losses, the biggest loss I've taken in college basketball is going to be that UCLA game against Gonzaga. <laughs> and then the biggest Same potential here, I and the biggest potential I ever had as uh, on an outright came with UCLA during the Lonzo Ball year in I don't know what year that was, but I got them at this 100. Bryce Alford. I love that team. Yeah, I got them at 100 to 1 uh before the season started. They became the number 1 team in the nation at a certain point and they lost to Kentucky in that Sweet 16 game. So UCLA heartbreak every single year for me. Yeah, I believe in him for some reason still, but yeah, that sucked. Uh, but yeah, thanks to Sam Burns. I completely forgot I even took that, but it must have been uh, Wednesday night or whatever because I saw the text there with you and Roberto from Action, and I <laughs> my only thing was like because I couldn't make the show that week. It's like guys, I took Sam Burns forty two to one. That was the only thing I contributed <laughs> to the show. I was like, if you want to mention that on the podcast without me, feel free. And then I took Siwoo Kim the day after, uh, I think right when matches started or a little bit before at 80 or whatever it was, and that was it. And then I did not know about Sam Burns till I was scrolling through uh, FanDuel on Sunday morning. I was like, oh, shit, we got a live one. That's awesome. And boom. And I think I had Sam Burns going far in my bracket, but that was about all that went well with my bracket. I had John Ram winning it. Um like it was like the anti chug. I didn't think anybody like in our bracket, not many people had John Rom going very far. And I kind of thought that would be the case. I was like, I think people are just going to fade John Rom. Um, and he becomes a contrarian player. I was like, okay, I'll take that. And didn't work out. But yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the Valero real quick on paper. I don't love the event. I have the most outrights I've ever taken. I have nine. I don't think I've ever had more than seven. But they're all long shots for the most part, equating to 1.2 units at risk. And then five top 40 plays. I tried to force matchups and I couldn't find one. I texted you about a couple, but other than that, like, what was it? It was Davis Riley over who was that over? I think it was a Camby shop that had it. It was minus 120 and minus 110. Those even then kind of, you know, I think it was classical Davis percentages. Riley over Matt Wallace. Yeah, over Matt Wallace. And obviously, Matt Wallace just won, but yeah, I don't know. Didn't get there. So I don't know. I'm excited to hear your course breakdown real quick. I'll just start. I valued um, kind of the short game wedges. So 50 to hundred and then a little bit over 200 other than that bunker avoidance, bunker uh, recovery, scrambling, but it's a, it's a ball strikers course. No doubt. Putting seems to be rather important. I always overvalue putting, I think, but guys that have one here have, you know, outside of Corey Connors and 19, I think when he won, like he just obviously tore it up with proximities, but um, usually guys are gaining strokes putting that are winning here and everywhere, but yeah. So interested to see how you weighted everything here, but it's going to be a long shot tournament for me outside of Chris Kirk was the shortest guy. I bet to win outright at 31 to one. I, I will say this. I kind of have a soft spot for this tournament. Like I gave all the negative answers about the wagers that I have lost. I'll give a positive answer here. 
This is the home of the biggest outright bet that I've ever hit in golf. I had Corey Connors in 2019. I believe it was 250 to one. My model had him number one overall. I bet him, I usually bet to win eight units. I bet him to win about 30 units that week. Uh, it was a very massive payout with that. So, I, you know, I, I think this is a good tournament. It's an intriguing tournament for a lot of reasons. Um, you're going to obviously get a lack of star power because of its position on the schedule. You do get a little bit of that Augusta around the green and undulation practice, but I think one, the greens are too slow to mimic anything players will get next week. And two, the track is likely more challenging than any of the top players would care to see for a major prep. You probably don't have to look any further than what Kevin Nod did here a few years ago when he carded his infamous 16. Uh, the funniest thing about this course is, so it's TPC San Antonio. It's a Greg Norman design with help from Sergio Garcia. That is one way for the PGA Tour to stick it to Norman, but it's a quality venue. There's this around the green trouble that I talked about a moment ago that sees a 3.3% increase in the impact of scoring over a typical stop on tour. That particular factor combined with a 7% decrease in GIR percentage does help to make this layout one of the more demanding tournaments yearly. Obviously, as Nick just alluded to himself, quality ball striking will be at a premium whenever we get such a stark contrast in the GIR rate versus a typical tournament. I ran my model for the past five years to get better understanding of the scoring dispersion, which has seen the cut line range from even part of three over during that duration of time. One of the things I found intriguing was six of the most challenging holes at the course stretched between 410 to 481 yards. That created what theoretically should produce a condensed second shot yardage. However, it was interesting that no proximity range was wildly more impactful than the next. All 25-yard buckets featured over a 10% expectation and output. That's probably about as flat as you'll ever see for an event. Uh, and then, I mean, I guess the last thing that I would note here is that 4% more putts occurred from 5 to 15 feet. I am not a person that throws a lot of putting into my model. I think this is the conversation that Nick and I have every single tournament. I did decide to throw putting into the mix here from that 5 to 15 foot range. Uh, that's what I am more concerned with than how a person actually putts. Obviously, you have these Velcro slow light greens that I also threw a little bit into the mix to try to figure it out. But I think that combination, I think ball striking, you know, strokes gain total, like those are the general things I'm running. But it essentially comes down to a ball striking course. And then find me the putters that are good on slow greens and that can putt from five to 15 feet. So the top of my model which is very basic. I mean, I think Nick and I say this every single week. You're never going to get massive deviations from us compared to the consensus. It's why I always say, or why the both of us always say that when we do get something different, it means a lot to us. It's why we get these outlier outright wagers when we do get them. I'm a little bit different at the top than the casinos would be, but it's going to be the five names that you're going to hear throughout the space of who the favorites are. So I have number one, Siwoo Kim. Number two, Hideki Matsuyama. I do want to preface that by saying that's running it from a two-year regression model. I know there's injury concerns with him. Uh, that's another conversation to be had. Terrell Hatton, three. Corey Connors, four. Ricky Fowler, five. What about you, Nick? What the top of the yeah, board look like? Pretty much the same. I was going to say, usually uh, we want our top of the board to look similar to the casinos besides you in 2019, obviously, when Corey yeah, Connors showed up exactly. number one. That's outrageous. Uh, I got Hatton, Fowler, Siwoo, Hideki, obviously injury concerns. Chris Kirk, slightly above Corey Connors. Yeah, I have Chris Kirk seventh overall when I ran this for pure upside, which that would be an outright wager. That would be things of that nature. He saw a boost for me in that sense. So... 
I think it's very basic. Like, unfortunately, with this tournament, in my opinion, you have that you have one of those boards where all, all the players that you would expect to find success are grading well for me. That kind of makes it more difficult to find outlier situations to it. But I, I guess let's talk about this from a DFS perspective. As always, Nick, I'm sure everyone would love to hear wagers from either one of us if we get to that point. But you want to start us off in this $10,000 and above section. And, and the one thing I want to point out really quickly, uh, I don't have updated ownership right now on my model. That's something I'm going to run in a few hours. So uh, I will defer to Nick when it comes to that. Roger that. All right, here we go. 10K and above. We got Corey Connors. I see 22% at 10.1. I think that's about fair. Ricky Fowler right around 20% at 10.2. Hideki at 5. I think everybody is expecting uh, another WD this week. We'll see what happens. Obviously, he's got GPP leverage, if you want to call it that, if you trust the health. And then Tyrrell Hatton. 10-9 at 20K or 20%. So all three of these guys are pretty much the same ownership. Connors, Fowler, Hatton, Hideki is obviously the pivot. If you want to get crazy and trust the health, I do not think he's healthy. So I'm banking that he will likely withdraw. I mean, is he playing for anything? He's in Augusta anyway. So yeah. I don't see why he would ever risk it, but you never know. So I'm expecting a WD there. If I had to choose, I think I'm going to fade Corey Connors. Um, I'm TBD on Ricky. Obviously, his game is in very steady and good form and like everybody's going to play him for the sake like he has to win to get into Augusta I don't think a top five finish does him anything right like he has to win I believe 90% sure and then Tyrrell Hatton I think is by far the best player on the board so if I go to my implied probabilities what did I have him at 6.5 so one and a half times pretty much anybody else in the field not crazy I know in weeks prior at these weaker events your numbers, my numbers, we have had guys that are 2x pretty much anybody else in the field. That is not the case here. But Ricky is my second guy, and Connors is outside the top five. So I think I'm going to trust my numbers and also assume that Corey Connors does end up drawing the most ownership out of those three in Connors, Ricky, and Hatton. So I'll be out on Corey Connors. I'm disappointed to hear that Hatton seems to be about 20% right now because when I wrote my Rotoballer article yesterday, I had him at about 13.5%. Uh, the Fowler and Connors numbers that you talked about is exactly where I had it. And I was hoping it was one of those situations where Hatton would create leverage as a price that people thought they could pivot down and, and, you know, play Fowler or Connors and you could find some leverage in that spot with it. But uh, I, I kind of agree with everything that you said ownership aside with it. I think Hatton's probably the best player in this tournament. He's also bringing the best form to the mix. He 12 consecutive cuts, 24 consecutive rounds are shooting par or better. That is substantially the best in this field. And obviously that's a weird statistic to point out because once you play a more difficult course, you're going to lose that run that you have going. But Hatton's clearly playing really good golf right now. I lean towards him. I don't necessarily have a massive take between Fowler and Connors. Like if you were to make me pick, I think there's an ever so slight edge that Connors has over Fowler. Um, but I'm kind of in the spot right now. If all three are going to be over 20%, I might just play Hatton and get rid of everybody else. I it's I'm it's to be decided on Connors. I, I love Connors at this tournament. He's historically always the player that I pick for one and done. Obviously I had him number one in my mall. This is surprisingly the first year since 2019 that he has not been number one in my model. For this event um and that's dating back to a 250 to one shot with it so i i don't know nick it's it's a tough spot for what to do with that connor's fowler range because like no matter how you want to shake it 
and this is even, I'll even throw Hideki into this mix. I have injury concerns with him. And I think you're kind of playing that dangerous game, but all four of these guys graded inside the top five of my model. It's tough to find a separation based off of that. Yeah. So my issue is I did love a lot of guys in the mid to low seven K range that seems like most of the field is on too, but there are two guys that I see right now currently like the one to 2% and it does allow me to fit any two of the combo of Hatton Fowler Connors. And so I'm probably just going to roll with Ricky, but I don't know. Connor seems to be a much safer play just based on his history here, but I do like, I like to root for Ricky, you know, and he's in such good form this year. I don't want the last time he finished outside the top 30 was American express. So the dude's vibing and he's making putts again. So that's fun. Um, 9k range, Siwoo Kim 30%. (laughs) I mean, if you look at his course history, though, he's a walking top 20 here. Good form. I get, I do. What do you do with 30% Siwoo? I feel like I always play him because he's always like five to 10. I feel like I want to bail this week on 30%, but he's in such good form too. And he's making putts of all things. Um, real quick question for you with the slower greens, what did you do for putting and how did it wait out like? For Hatton, let's say the top two putters in the field, at least up top, maybe the top three, Ben Griffin, Taylor Montgomery, and Hatton, did they go backwards in your weighted putting or did they go forwards with the slow greens? Hatton was the number one player in strokes game putting on slow greens. Montgomery went backwards. He went from first to 13th. And then who was the other player you asked about? Uh, Ben Griffin is what I expect to be the third best putter in the field or top three. Those are the top three for mine. Yeah, he got better on slow greens himself for me. So, um, you know, I think that's something to at least look into. And that's kind of the answer of why I always land on Corey Connors here. So, and by the way, if Siwoo Kim is going to be 30% on, which I had him 25% yesterday, and that's kind of like the one player that I'm trying to track, I think it's a 50-50 sort of situation. Like I, if my pricing between Siwoo Kim versus Connors I have Siwoo Kim minus 112 being the proper price. So we're we're essentially talking about two players that are within the same range of one another there. Um, if I can get 20% ownership on Connors versus 30% ownership on Siwoo, I probably will pivot from Siwoo over to Connors. But the one I thing I want to... Yeah, maybe. I mean, like, I'm kind of thinking, like, there's a lot of players in this range. Well, I guess from $8,000 and up that I am just going to get rid of completely. Yep, same here. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier to try to make decisions based off of that. But the thing with Connors to just go back into the $10,000 section very quickly, 83rd in my model in strokes gain putting, he is 29th in this field on slow greens with his putting. So he was the biggest increase that I had of any golfer in this field. Okay. That's interesting. So the 9,900, I'm going to take out Taylor Montgomery. Most likely his ownership's 18 to 20. I'm um, putting on the source. So I'm going to take him out, especially if he goes, if he regresses on slow greens to your data for Ben Griffin, I'll probably keep the chalk there, but I'm jumping the gun here. So nine K we got Ryan Fox flat. I see 12% ownership, Matt Kuchar, 20% ownership at 9,200. I'm, I'm out on Matt Kuchar. I don't give a shit about course history and Matt. I'm just, I'm out. So he's, there's the X button right there. Chris Kirk, 18%, 9,300. Like all these guys are just so heavily owned. So no surprise here. I mean, I talked about it in my hand build, which is usually like an alarm. I like to just hand build real quick and see what like drafting kind of forces me to. And it seems like everybody's going with a guy in the 10K range or like just 9K and above two of these guys and then mid tier. So 
that's what's going to be likely the chalk build. So make sure you get different than that. Or if you're using an optimizer, maybe set a rule that, you know, you're either going much heavier than the field on those combos or getting away from them would be my advice. But Davis Riley, 9,500, 15%. Siwoo, again, we talked about him. So I'm out on Montgomery. I really like everybody in the 9K range outside of him. I like Ryan Fox at the ownership. I mean, the guy has been just in really good form in any golf tournament he's played. Is he worth 9K? I don't know about that. Maybe that's the downside. Chris Kirk, I think, is the safest play in the field. In my numbers, Davis Riley, I'm contemplating fading, but everything that I look at seems relatively good for my expected outputs for him, but his iron play is not nearly as good as it should be for what we're expecting and what he is historically. So maybe like if you're talking about really good form, I would probably bail Davis Riley if I had to choose. So I'm for sure in on Fox, Kirk, and Siwoo out of Montgomery. You be the decider on Davis Riley. So there's one player to me, $9,000 and above, which was the first guy I penciled out that I wanted nothing to do with. And that was Davis Riley at 9,500. Boom. Let's go. He's out. He's gone. I I don't really have any intrigue with him. Like, obviously I run a two-year regression model. So I'm going to have missed some of this recent surge that he's had. I, I I liked him at the match play. I actually picked him to win the group. Uh, Obviously it didn't happen. He gave Scotty a run for his money and, could have pulled that match out and he looked really good at the Valspar and the API that he looked good at the Honda. We've kind of seen a resurgence from him recently, but there's a lot in my data that I do not like the around the green game worries me. His historical performances in the wind. I don't really love that. Um, you know, I think people that run weighted proximity or look at proximity numbers, you're going to probably have a lot that you like about him in that sense there. But I think if he starts missing greens, all of a sudden this becomes a problem. And if you're telling me that the wind could potentially make it a little bit more difficult for him to hit greens in regulation and, and increase, or I guess, decrease those proximity numbers that he's going to try to get to, I'm going to be out on him. I agree with Chris Kirk. So like for me, there's a couple players from like, if I'm trying to run this from a projected price standpoint of what my model had as proper, there were a few players that I thought were underpriced based off of where they were. So I thought Ryan Fox was properly priced and then you have no ownership. So that's an intriguing thing. Like anytime you can have a properly priced player and, you know, we'll get to Alex Noren in a second. I think Alex Noren is a overpriced golfer that has no ownership, or at least my model seems to think he had no ownership. I'd be curious to hear what Nick has to say about that, but that's one of the ways that you can create leverage there. But Fox is kind of the ideal situation where he's properly priced and you can still create leverage. So uh, he was proper. Chris Kirk should have been a little bit more expensive. Siwoo Kim should have been a little bit more expensive. And then my model seems to think that Terrell Hatton should have been in the $11,000 range. And the price, I guess, technically on Corey Connors was fair. So that's essentially all the golfers, Hatton, Connors, Siwoo, Kirk, Fox. Those were the five or six names I just mentioned that were like immediately the golfers who popped out before I looked at anything else. What are your thoughts on Taylor Montgomery? Because one thing that I do kind of put in my process, especially at the top of the board is, you know, I preach Circa all the time and I, I really value their odds making as well. They have a much shorter, much lower hold percentage than the DraftKings FanDuel points, but, but I'm at like every other online book you've ever used. I do like to note the guys that they have shorter than the higher hold percentage books because that's like even more of a gap than you would expect. So Taylor Montgomery, 
is 22 to one on circa currently Davis Riley's 27 to one. So Davis Riley is going to be anywhere from like 22 to 25 to one on our online books that we have. Circa's got him longer than that. And Taylor Montgomery is shorter at circa than he is in the market for online betting. So usually I like to follow suit with circa, especially when ownership lines up the same way. So do you have any love for Taylor Montgomery at 9,900? Cause like it's almost like they circa loves suit the whole market loves you. So obviously we get that. We talked about the course history there, but real quick, what are your thoughts on Montgomery? But I, I am going to bail Davis Riley for sure. I, I did like Taylor Montgomery, but that's also based off of the assumption that he was 10% and not 20%. As you just mentioned, uh, it's a much different game that we're playing right now for a 20% own Taylor Montgomery. Like no matter what I think about his short game and no matter what I, I like him as a prospect, the guy can't hit an iron. Like until right. he can hit an iron, I don't know if I want him when you look at the GIR percentage here. I, like I said, it's 7% lower than your typical stop on tour. Uh, that's where you can get yourself into trouble. And for as great of a putter as Montgomery is, which you could argue that he's the best putter in the field, like maybe him or Hatton or whichever order you want to put those guys in near the top. He's clearly up there. The run the green game isn't necessarily, I mean, look, he's top 50 in my model for this tournament. I don't have any glaring weaknesses for why I would think he'd have problems, but if he's not like a top 10 around the green player and my model's not anticipating hitting him hitting a bunch of greens in regulation, there are back end problems that can come into play that you might not foresee at the time when you run a model. He's top 10 for me in overall rank. Don't necessarily have a problem with him, but um, it's going to be a solely based ownership question if he's 20 percent owned i am out if he is sub 15 percent owned i will probably find a way to fit him in because I, I do tend to like him a little bit this week even though the approach numbers are bad right on. i would agree all right ak range we'll start at the top jj spawn i'm seeing 16 percent. i think i'm going to be out on jj spawn are wild percentages this week 8900 jj spawn i know he won here last year but um, again, Circa has him 34 to one. Most of the market has him right around 30 to one again, and they have a higher hold percentage. So I'm going to be out on JJ spawn. Also, like I know his numbers look good from the match play, but before that he has not gained strokes with his iron play in one, two, three, four, five rounds and around the green play was awesome at the Genesis and negative everywhere else. So, I'm going to be out on JJ Spawn at that ownership. Alex Noren, I just think, is a name brand guy that just doesn't have it right now. So I'm probably what, going to be out on him. Do you Nick, like what Noren? percentage do you see on him? Eight. And I would expect it's going to be less. Like, I don't think anybody wants to play Alex Noren, but he, his approach game has been. I mean, how do you miss a cut at the players? How bad was it? Let's see that live on air. We're looking for Noren. He missed a cut by two strokes. I don't know. I mean, if Alex Noren is some 10%, that may be a guy you want to look at. No course history here in the last five years. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Alex Noren? My numbers don't hate him for how bad he's played. I think I kind of like him. I think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about a second ago with Noren. The price tag is where the name recognition comes into play. He was made $8,800 just solely because of a name brand situation. 100%. I don't think that that's a problem, though, when you can create leverage in the spot. And I would tend to think, and as I said, I have not updated numbers in 24 hours. My initial first look of him had him sub 5%. Uh, if you could guarantee me he'd be sub 5%, I would definitely be in. But 
if you're directly comparing him to JJ Spawn, if you are directly comparing him to Matt Wallace, um, I'm trying to find guys in this range that are kind of popular. Look, I mean, it's a coin flip of who my model likes better. So if you're telling me that like 20% of people are going to JJ Spawn or whatever the number is, and I can get Alex Knorr in half of that ownership when it's really a 50-50 situation, it is an intriguing leverage spot to try to find here. Now, Nick, as you know better than anybody else, I have Alex Norin because I picked him up on my fantasy, my season-long fantasy golf team that we do together. I have dropped him three times now because I am in this position to where it all systems, everybody every single week is just potential to be dropped. I am dropping six players, picking up six new players. I am like created this new system that is as volatile as can be. And I've dropped Alex Norin three times. I have picked him up three times to get him back on my team, which I don't know if that's a sign that like people don't even want him in season long golf that I keep getting him, but I picked him up to play him this week. I, I do think he has very intriguing upside for really an ownership that is going to be below anybody else. And it's not that my model likes him, but you don't have to look any further than how I ran it. So he's 40th overall. Clearly that's where the overpricing comes into play. He does have positive leverage to actually win this event. I think that that's kind of what you want from a GPP candidate that has no ownership. At least give me the upside and somebody that has the potential to make a run. So I am going to play Alex Noren unless that ownership gets, you know, higher than what we have right now. I don't think it is going to get much higher. I don't I think it's going to be lower than the number you said, but I mean, I guess we'll see. All right. My numbers had Alex Noren at 40 to one, pretty much flat. And Circa's got him at 33 to one. I saw 46 to one on FanDuel. Alex Norton was not right pick that I chose. I hope he's under 10%. I will play him. His short game, you know, especially what I value here is a lot of that 75 to 125 range. Norton's good there. And obviously he can make, I, th- he, I think he goes to fourth in my expected putting, like in the projections for what we should see. Again, that's not a tried and true thing, but in the top five putters we talked about, Hatton, Montgomery, Griffin, Noren was number four. I think that Noren has a ton of play here, especially when he's in between 8,900 JJ Spawn, who's going to get close to 20% ownership. And right below him, next guy, 8,700 Ben Griffin, 18% ownership. Do you fade both Griffin and Spawn? Or because, like, I am all for playing a ton of Alex Noren. I did not expect you to be in on that. Love that you are. But again, 13 points different on a low hole book. A circa to a high hold book on FanDuel for Norn. So that's a big difference. I don't know if I've seen one that big for a top 15 price guy. Can I give you another price that I've seen in the market on Norn to even make it a little bit more intriguing with it? Please. So I like Bookmaker. Um, I, I would say I do not book- have access at the moment. I do not have an account there. I, I would say Bookmaker and Pinnacle are at least from the offshore locations, the two best books, I would agree. Uh, in, in my opinion of that. So Alex Noren, 28 to one on Bookmaker. We're going to Pinnacle. Let's pull that live on air as well. I feel like the offshores always respect the Euros a little bit more just because they're probably getting more Euro action. But let's see what we got. Um, and, and by the way, I don't think that that's a reason, obviously. 34 to one. I don't think that's a reason to solely play somebody, but when you have positive trajectory in my model for upside, when you have reduced ownership, 
when you have these numbers that are, you know, 10, 15 points less than you have at some of these legal shops throughout the space, all of those things start mattering. And like, if I'm directly comparing a Norin to a Spun, they're essentially the same golfer, as I keep saying to me, like, I don't see a massive difference. But if you're telling me that I can get one guy at half the ownership, that's where like this whole game theory comes into play with GPPs and really how you can put yourself in an advantageous spot to take advantage of. Like, you don't have to look any further than this week. The ownership, it's condensing in all the same spots. Everybody loves Siwoo Kim. Everybody loves Chris Kirk. Everybody loves all these players. And that's fine. You can still play those names. But at some point, you have to find an Alex Noren. You have to find some of these golfers that do create the differentiating qualities in your lineup. So, um, obviously, for that reason, I think we've talked about enough about Noren. I like him this week. Uh, it's going to be volatile. Like, don't be confused with that. But... I don't know. Ben Griffin is the difficult one for me. My model really likes him. It's running through a limited sample size. Um, sixth overall for me. Like that means something. And really when I run my numbers for Griffin, when it's liked him, for the most part, he's produced. I guess the one negative thing I would say to that is at some point, do we think Ben Griffin is just a better cash game play than a GPP target? Because it's not like he's necessarily producing massive results in these tournaments yeah that's kind of my issue with griffin is like what's his upside i guess top 12 in sony was his best finish or like the bermuda i mean i don't know this place like the bermuda but he's just so damn good and he's one of the best around the green players and a really good putter short irons are good i, I have nothing wrong to say with ben griffin it's i don't either it'd be an ownership thing of me yeah, it'd be an ownership reason for why I would remove him if there was anything. But um, I don't necessarily want to start removing top five or six guys from my model just for the sake of ownership. Like like we've said, there's enough ways that you can differentiate a build. Like just throwing Alex Noren in there already does that somewhat. Yep, I'm in on Alex Noren. All right, thoughts on Bezadenhout, Wallace, Dietrich, Cam Davis. I'm out on Davis Thompson. I'm just going to take him out now. I think I'm out on Nikolai Hogard. Way too popular. I'm seeing 15% on him. Yeah, I'd be out Adam on that. Shank, I'll consider. I don't know. But Cam Davis, I'm seeing 18%. I think I'm out there. Thomas Dietrich, I'm seeing 20%. I'm going to be 100% out there unless you say something else. And then Matt Wallace, 12 to 15. I got two different sources getting two different numbers. What percentage? Out, are we out? I seem to like Bezayden out most, more than the general public does. Um, what percentage did you say you see on him? For Bezadenhout? Yes. Sub 10. So I think I got to keep him. Yeah. I think based off of that reason, like my number is going to probably be lower than yours. I, I, the way that I run things on Monday, you have certain guys that shoot way up and you have certain guys who shoot way down. And it's more so just trying to project like where the anticipated market is going to move rather than those are like the locked in percentages. Obviously you get uh, a little bit of difference when you run it throughout the week and I get more books and all of a sudden, when you start aggregating the numbers out, it becomes easier in that sense with it. But uh, I kind of like Bizaden out. I think he's a spot you can get different with. What did you say the ownership was on Cam Davis? 18%? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I love Cameron Davis. I think he has legitimate upside to win this tournament. He is like the biggest climber that I have when it comes to win equity based off of perception around him. I don't know how in a DFS construction, and he might win. I, I want to preface it by saying that. I don't know how in a DFS construction, 
we can play an 18% own Cam Davis with what we have gotten from him historically. Like we don't even have to look of recent. Like I know he's looked, he looked great in the match play. I thought he looked great at the players and he's hopefully overall his concerns that he had uh, that were limiting him. But if we look before that miscut at the API, miscut at the Honda, miscut at the Genesis, miscut at the farmers, miscut at the American express. I don't want an 18% owned guy who has that sort of volatility to him. So uh, if you want to bet him as a top 10 wager, if you want to bet him to win this tournament, go for it. If you want to play him for DFS, I probably am removing him from my player pool for that reason. Uh, the second player that I eliminated from my pool. So the first was Davis Riley. The second player was Adam Shank. I have Nick right. Taylor minus 110 over him in a head-to-head bet on DraftKings. Really like that bet. I think there's about 25 points of an advantage there. It kind of just comes down to Shank's skill set that I see some red flags here. So obviously back-to-back miscuts, you're going to get this perception around him in the market to where the current form looks great. I I understand that. Like the second at the Valspar, he has a bunch of made cuts dating back to the start of this year. It's a different quality of player that we've gotten with him. But I think the one thing to keep in mind is a lot of these golfers go through these hot stretches and then they cool off. And when they cool off, all of a sudden Adam Shank will miss like five, six cuts in a row. I'm kind of afraid that this going to the Valero, going to TPC San Antonio might be the course that is just not set up for him. So like when I look at this from a statistical perspective, he's 125th in my model in weighted proximity. He's 119th in weighted GIR percentage. That's really alarming for a golfer in reality who doesn't necessarily have the greatest around the green game. Like what we've seen from him recently is a lot better than what we've seen from him historically. And if he's Mm -hmm. missing greens here, I'm afraid he regresses back to the true Adam Shank version of himself to where all of a sudden the short game isn't as crisp as it's been over the last, let's say two months here. So I'm going to be fading Shank in all capacities of the market. I think head to head wagers are a really good way to do it, but I will have zero exposure for any semblance of a DFS contest. Um, Davis Thompson I always like him a little bit more than perception. I would say I'm probably not going to play him because I think he has that same volatility that we're talking about with Cam Davis at the end of the day. Uh, Hoygaard, that's kind of a one-off situation to where, look, he's 22 years old, I believe. He looks like an immensely talented prospect. Maybe he is very good golfer. I don't know what to think, and I don't have enough data to feel comfortable. And if the ownership's going to be really high, I would probably rather just make him beat me because there's too many unknowns. And then uh, Dietrich, just to answer him very quickly, I kind of like him. Like, I kind of always like him. Like, I feel like Dietrich and Bezadenhout are the two golfers that my model likes every single week. And unfortunately, we never necessarily get the results that we're hoping. Like, Dietrich is a very similar answer, I guess, that we would say to Ben Griffin. I know last week he came in the top 10, but that's at a Corrales tournament that had nobody there. He was one of the favorites to win that event. I don't really want to count that as a top 10. If you really look outside of that, it's a lot of finishes over or outside the top 25. I think at a certain point, it becomes fine because what? He's the 16th price guy on the DraftKings board. Yeah, price is fair. Yeah, the price is fair. So I don't know if that's necessary. Like if he was a 9,000 something dollar golfer, then there'd be more concerns there. But uh, I mean, for me, I'm probably going to play Dietrich. I'm probably in on Griffin for those reasons. And then 
Um, I'm going to play Alex Noren. That's kind of the range for me in this $8,000 section. All right. I think I may keep Davis Thompson in. If he's going to be 3%, there's just no one in that price. Is that what he is right now? Yeah. Yeah. Based off of 3%, like for me proper, I'll give you what a proper percentage was. Uh, Like, I mean, if he was anything less than 6%, my model starts spitting him out as somebody who it finds to be intriguing. All right. Brennan Todd. And numbers loved him. I'm seeing 16% ownership on Brendan Todd. That leaves much to be desired. I think <laughs> on principle, I'm yeah. going to be out on Brendan Todd. I'm out on Brendan Todd. Confirmed. I think you can. I'll, so bet, my, him. I'll bet him outright, I think. Yeah. My numbers also like Brendan Todd a lot, but this might be one of those situations. And I'd be curious to hear what percentage I'm not you have. Bet him outright. I I didn't either. Um, I considered it, but um, I'd be curious to hear what percentage you have on Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor, I love thirteen. I'd rather have Nick Taylor thirteen than Brendan so Todd at sixteen. So, so would I. That's kind of the com- direct comparison I was going to make. There is, um, and I'll take it a step further. I would rather have. What do you see on Andrew Putnam? Love Putnam as well. He's a core play for me. Nine. Yeah. So, like to me, Putnam and Taylor are really the two spots to try to get different in a lineup. And I don't think you have to get stuck to that Todd ownership. They're all very similar to me. And there's a lot of ways I can run my model to where it will like Nick Taylor and Andrew Putnam more. And like I talked about the Nick Taylor head to head bet I have, I also bet Andrew Putnam at 55 to one. I know there were better prices in the space. I think there was a 66 to one when it opened, but there's a lot to like about him from a statistical perspective the off the tee stuff is always going to be concerning, but the putter is going to be great. The stuff on slow greens doesn't get any worse for me. So that's an encouraging thing there. And then he's a great win player. He's been great on TPC courses historically. Like anytime I can find some of these golfers that have tons of high end totals for me that are inside the top five or 10 and they're outside 50 to one, like you're going to have qualities of these players that become lesser i guess would be the best way to say it and really when you get outside 100 to 1 you're really just looking for one core thing that you're hoping to find and like i would use an example here of joseph bramlett maybe bramlett can play this course from a distance perspective where he is a little bit different we know that the ball striking from him can be great uh the putter's terrible if you can just get one of those weeks from him where the putter is decent he possesses upside and that's kind of what i'm trying to find from these seven thousand dollar golfers in general Ownership from a DFS perspective will change my answer based off of that. Um, But if we're talking about like outright bets, Putnam was the first name that popped out to me when I started running numbers because he's top five for bogey avoidance. He's top five in, I mean, about six or seven of like the 15 categories that I looked into at least from a decent perspective on it. And then while you have some of the downside with the off the tee stuff, look, I mean, it's a long course. It's also a weird course with the distribution of the importance here. This doesn't necessarily equate to be a course where distance is the be all end all for it. It always helps a little bit, but I don't think Putnam is like distance inclined by any way to not be able to win this tournament. So uh, that's one of my outright bets at 55 to one, but I'll let you get back into this board, Nick. Oh, I'm in on as well. And also another outlier circus got him at 40. So I do like that. We have uh, a good number there. And my numbers had Putnam at 38 to one. Perfect. So to get 55, that was an autoplay for me. 
Yeah, I believe I, I will double check right now. I believe I had him sub 45 to one. I love yeah, that. I had him at 40, right. 42 to one. Beautiful. Okay. Well, he's in. Um, I took some guys out. SH Kim, I took out. Who else did I take out? We'll speed it up here. Aaron Rye, I see him for 14% ownership. I'm out. Sam Ryder, 10% ownership. I'm out. Bo Hossar, I don't play. Taylor Pendrith, yeah. I think, is broken. Uh, Hayden Buckley, I have no interest there. So anybody in the 7K range you like a ton, here are the guys that I like and will be overweight on is Putnam, Taylor. I'm probably going to play Alex Smalley if he's going to be 5% owned. I, yes. I, th- I think this track fits him decently. I love Brandon Wu for the price. I don't know if I love the ownership. I'm seeing 10% now. I'll probably bail on Brandon Wu if that's the case. I like Robbie Sheldon and Kiz, both at 7,500. Kazire, that is. Sam Stevens, 7,400, 10% owned. I think I'd be gone on that. What about you? My numbers really like Sam Stevens. I don't love the 10% ownership with him, but I have not gotten to the point yet where I have removed him from my player pool. He's kind of still hovering. Um, That's going to be a decision that I make later in the week. Now, Alex Smalley, that was one of the first way. I mean, this, I'm not going to go into this. I recommend them every single week. Like, obviously my numbers (laughs) like, and we know that at this point, but uh, I got him at a hundred and a hundred and ten to one, I believe. Uh, when this tournament opened and now he's down That's to like 80 to one, that number is so far gone at this point. And um, I'd like to think that I have something to do with that, but I really think more of the answer comes down to, he is such a quality ball striker. If you look at the total driving, the long iron proximity, all of those things, there is so much to like about his trajectory as a golfer. He's going to go as far as the putter can take him. That's always going to be the case for him at the end of the day. But um, I I think he has legitimate win equity for this tournament. And anytime that you can give that answer in a $7,000 golfer, I'm going to play them. Uh, I also really like Robbie Shelton this week. So I have Robbie Shelton and I will give you the exact price because I believe it is still available everywhere. You could quote me on this, but uh, I took him top 20 at plus 300. I also grabbed him as an outright at a hundred to one. Ooh, I got um, 90. Well, either or both of those would be value there. So Shelton was first in my model for weighted G I R for TPC San Antonio. Uh, that's enough for me to take a chance on a $7,000 golfer. And then I guess just to like quickly run through if there's anybody else in the $7,000 range. Um, I guess I guess Joseph Bramlett. I, I mentioned him originally. I don't know what you see for his ownership right now. The Bramwagon, I see at three. I think that's certainly interesting for sure. Like Kramer Hickox, the same price. I'd rather have Joseph Bramlett all day. And I don't know if these prices are still available. I think it's still available in the top 20 portion of the market, but uh, I took him at four to one to come top 20. I also took him at 150 to one to win this tournament. I would assume that number's gone I would be shocked if you could still find that anywhere. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but anything hundred to one or over was still technically going to be good enough value to play. Like he was more of a 75 to one golfer for me. Nice. I like that. All right. Thoughts on the top guys left in ownership in this range will be Nick Hardy, Malinari, Ben on, and that's it. Everybody else is pretty low owned. I do like Ben Martin at 7,100. I do like Bramlett at 7,100. I do like David Lingworth at 7,100. 
TBD and Ryan Palmer. I like Ryan Palmer because it's yeah, Texas. Yeah, Palmer's interesting. I kicks my ass every time I fucking <laughs> yeah. play him. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. And he can't make a putt. So I don't know what to do there. Let's see the course history on Mr. Ryan Palmer. Pretty decent mixed bag, though. I don't know. So I, I'm out on Nick Hardy. I'll answer that one first. I'm probably Good. out on Molinari. Good. Um, the one that I'd be curious about, I don't know who the third name was of that mix. You can ben, tell me that. Again. Ben on 10%. Uh, I assume I'm out based off of that. Um, cool. Yeah, I'm probably. I mean, I, he's, I'm indifferent about him, but I don't really, if I'm nah, indifferent about out. a 10% golfer, I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Get him out. Um, the one I would like to ask you about, because this is about as volatile boomer bust as you can get. Uh, first of all, before I ask the question, what do you see for ownership on Patrick Rogers? P-Rod. I just took him out, actually. I see 3%. See, I, I think Patrick two, Rogers. Two, sorry, I, two. Yeah, th- that's the number I essentially had. I had 2.5% on him. You uh, like him. I think he is very intriguing in a sense that he might come in dead last place, but he also might top 10 this tournament. At 2% ownership, I don't think you need much exposure to get massively overweight to him. I will put him into my player pool and hope that we get the upside versus whatever that floor seems to be with him right now, which has been horrible. I know he's been terrible at this tournament also. I'm not necessarily condoning like going massively <laughs> overweight, but like it's like, like let's look at this just really quickly. He is a very slight favorite over Robbie Shelton on Pinnacle. That yes. means something to both of us. He is a very slight favorite over Joseph Bramlett at Bet Rivers. I like Bramlett, so that means something to me. He is minus 120 against Kevin Strillman at DraftKings. I tend to like Strillman a little bit this week. I don't have a problem with that. So that's another golfer. That's now three for three of him beating golfers that I like. Uh, he is minus 129 against Hayden Buckley at Bet Online. I am still out nice. on Hayden Buckley at this point. Um, I don't know what is happening. He's a great off the tee player. I don't know what else is wrong with his game. And there's also a pinnacle price where he is minus 110 both ways against Tyler Duncan, who I have no problems with Tyler Duncan this week. I got rid of him on my season long team, which I kind of regret doing uh, to pick up Eric Cole. I think it's kind of changing bad for more bad with it. But um, I think all of that's very intriguing for a golfer to me who's volatile. So if you're telling me he's a head to head favorite, Kind of more intrigued about backing him at 2%. Okay. I could respect that. Um, anybody under 7K that you like? Well, the one I'd like to ask you about really quickly before we move on, I obviously mentioned that I like Stroman a little bit. The course history looks great here. Um, do you have Do you have any thoughts on Akshay Batia? Is the ownership way too high for you? I see 8% for 7K. That's not, I mean, I don't know. This guy's got upside. That's, yeah. I don't it, know. I'm, I'm good. I'm good on anybody. 7K flat. That's going to be 7 to 10% owned. I'm out. I, I don't know. I mean, he's boom or bust. Um, he's everybody's favorite golfer these days. 85 to 1, though, on the outright market is pretty interesting. My model doesn't like him as much as other people seem to. And and I'm running limited data, so, and he's been really good. So you would hope that it'd be better than this, I guess, because you're going to see a regression, at least in my opinion. 21st overall, like that's at least considerable enough to where I haven't made a decision on him yet. But um, if we're talking about I mean, about he's this, got upside. Uh, of course. I mean, he has upside through the roof with it. So um, in the $6,000 section... Ugh. I mean, it gets gross really fast here. Yeah, Do you have thoughts uh, on Mark Hubbard? 
I don't. I can never get him right. He's on my season long team. <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, the guy I like the most part that I play every single week seems to be. I mean, I'm not playing Carl. You on? You guys aren't talking me. Into that <laughs> I don't know if I can talk myself into that. Um, Michael Kim is like the only guy I think actually has solid game. That's priced down here. Michael Kim is like I don't. My model hates him every single week. And he's a good I don't, player. He's good. He's good. Like he's actually legitimately good. Like there are certain players that I just ignore what my model says because clearly something's not right with it. And I'd like to think that it's 98% correct in a lot of the ways that I run it. It's obviously missing something with Michael Kim that I just can't seem to pick up. And that's been a historical problem I've had, but I good golfer. I don't really have much negative to say other than he has been an unmitigated disaster at this tournament, which I, I wouldn't say it's the most pronounced course history but it's also not zero when we yeah. look at like predictive nature of it by the That's way true. just to throw out the carl yuan thing he's 101st in my model this week so uh even Good. my model doesn't like him anymore i think the stats might be catching up to like the true outcome of what we get from him all right i like to hear that yeah i i don't know i mean obviously this doesn't answer your question much much like i guess depending on what lucas glover's ownership is maybe him because of the course history Maybe Mark Hubbard, if he can be low enough, those are the two highest or the best rated guys in my model. It liked Ben Taylor a little bit if the ownership is yeah, I don't mind him. fine. But uh, I mean, scrolling through this, there are very few top, let's call it 50 golfers for me that are down in this range. Yeah. And I don't think you need them either with how pricing is. Um, I, I think, you know, just uncovering what we discussed, I think the way to get different, if you have the stomach to do it, is just to play a lot of these guys and the you know low nine and 8k range and kind of avoid the 7k range maybe play one or two of them but the field's going to play three to four so um real quick betting cards um so here's the outrights i have naturally i took will gordon because i had to 85 chris kirk 31 um tbd and ryan fox 45 to one looks interesting but i don't know if he's a winner um robbie sheldon 90 to one David Lingmurth, I took it 110 to one. That's gross. Brandon Wu, I took 90 to one. Also gross. Norin, 46 to one. I love that one. And Nick Taylor, 50 to one. Top 40s are Ryan Fox, minus 105 FanDuel. These are all FanDuel. Ben on plus 160. As much as I don't like him, it's probably to get exposure there because I'm going to fade in DFS. Brandon Wu, plus 150. Kazire, plus 165. Smalley, plus 140. I think I like that ticket a lot. And then uh, Andrew Putnam, 55 to one. Also, I forgot that one. So the heaviest outright week of my life, but I could not find a matchup that I liked at all. And coming off the Burns free roll, I have exactly four units at risk this week. So we'll see what happens there. I think the Taylor and Norin outright bets that you have are really intriguing numbers that I can't imagine many people will be on just based off of I mean, I'm, I have not looked at the outright market and movement for this, but just based off of the DFS ownership, I can't imagine very many people are on them. And those are two golfers right. that have legitimate like win equity at those prices. So I like those numbers. Um, for me, I obviously mentioned the Nick Taylor bet over Adam Shank. That's probably my favorite wager on the board. I would anticipate- What book was that on? Sorry it was on DraftKings. Um, it was at minus 110 as of this morning. Don't know if it's still available. Numbers kind of tend to move on the quicker end when I give a head-to-head matchup. No, um, that's good. I'm firing away right now. Thank you. Let's do that. 
Yeah, so that would be my favorite bet. If we're looking at placement wagers, I have made a slight change to my card that I alluded to on Action Network on our show the past couple of weeks. Uh, the top 40 market, I seem to be stuck in quickstand with it. I'm not necessarily losing, but I haven't been winning either. So I'm going back to my roots of this and betting these golfers as top 20s um, and maybe even a little bit higher. I took Joseph Bramlett at four to one for a top 20, a top 10 at 10 to one. The Robbie Shelton ticket that I talked about at plus 300 for a top 20. You can find better than that, but that was a price that pays ties in full. Uh, it was just too small of a difference there that I decided to go that route with it. I took Andrew Putnam plus 250 as a top 20. I took Alex Smalley plus 320 as a top 20. I don't have a problem playing this more in like one of those ladder situations where if you want to bet him as a top five and a top 10, I certainly think both of those two things are in play. I, I do happen to believe that there's more of a broad range of outcomes for him than some of these golfers. So I decided to only go the top 20 route right now. I have it to win a unit. Maybe I end up putting a little bit more money on it uh, just to get my exposure that way with it. And then the outright wagers that I think I've mentioned every single one so far, Andrew Putnam, 55 to one, Alex Smalley, 110 to one. Obviously that number is gone. I'm less encouraged at 80 to one, but I still have value for whatever it's worth. I took Robbie Shelton at hundred to one, which Nick says is now 90 to one. And I took a very similar mindset mentality with Shelton with Joseph Bramlett at 150 to one. Let's go. All right. Good luck to everybody. That is all I have. We were going to do a 30 minute show today. <laughs> it is 57 minutes per usual. Um, but you know, I don't think there was a dull moment. So I enjoyed it being back after the bye week. Thanks to everybody for joining the, uh, the better golf bracket. We did have our winners. I should announce that. I'm sorry. We did put it on Twitter. If you did not respond, I think Bob from Cleveland is the only person that has not gotten paid out, but our winners were do, do, do where are we at here. All right. First was Zane Zybert paid him out and thanks for reaching out. Thanks for playing. Fantastic lineup. You wiped the floor with all that of us. Great. Matt Cabana yeah. in second. And then Bob from Cleveland snuck away in third. We had a lot of people really close to finishing top three. I did not think we'd have that many entrants. So thanks to everybody. We will do maybe a much better payout structure because we made DraftKings um, look like a fantastic place to to win money with the 18% pay line. Ours was like 0.04%. I didn't think there'd be that many people that joined. So maybe we'll do bigger payouts next year. But also all the damn people on Twitter, all these bots that like claim they were somebody that they weren't, it's just nuts. Uh, so the world's bunch of scumbags but all the bgp people that follow and support us you guys are not scumbags we love you so thanks for joining and congrats again to the winners yeah that you was very all, all kicked my ass i was in the sixth percentile just <laughs> i think i was in the 12th percentile and that's only because i had cameron young in the semifinals, so i got bailed out there you know yeah. it's funny um when i put the lineups out like my brother follows uh me on twitter obviously and he doesn't know anything about golf and he's like, I'm just going to go through and just randomly make a bracket and see how I do on this. And I was like, your luck, you're going to win. I'm just throwing it out there. He entered Sunday with a legitimate chance to win. He did not cash. He was in ninth place though, going into uh, the final day. So nice. look, that maybe, been awesome. <laughs> maybe the true golf picking in the family is uh, my brother with it. That's where you want to go for bracket contest. Yeah. Get him on the show next WGC. He has a very big following. He would be a good person to have on here. Nice. All right. We'll bring him on. All right. Uh, obviously, I told Nick before this show started that it was minus 135 that we would get this less than 50 minutes. 
classic fashion of myself. Uh, it's the over. That was the freest money that's ever been given before. But you can find Nick on Twitter at Sticks Picks. I am at Tee Off Sports. And once again, if you have any questions about the week from either a DFS or betting perspective, please do feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. Uh, you can also find us at Better Golf Pod if you want to talk to us there. But thanks again to everyone that tuned into the show today. And we will have an exciting tournament next week at Augusta National as we go through the Masters. So thank you guys once again for all the support.